Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw. You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? You know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. In the booth on a Monday, busy time of the year, an exciting time for Syracuse sports. Up to number 12 in the football polls. Seth just hit the basketball polls as things are rising there. And the Cuse in the City Week is upon us. Women's basketball in Westchester on Wednesday. The men play Thursday and Friday at the Garden and football on Saturday at Yankee Stadium. What can be better than that? And people are starting to make their plans. Run into a few folks around town that are all trying to find their little niche and uh, way down and back and place to stay. And uh, good stuff coming here over the course of this week. We did not end last week on a bang. Uh, We had a contest, pick six, we call it, to give away tickets to the uh, Louisville game, which the Orange uh, won in lopsided fashion on Friday night. We had trouble having to go to our third contestant before we could find one person who could name six Beatles songs. So uh, assistant guest volunteer producer Rick DiULio has suggested that Maybe we have a Name That Tune contest, and uh, I like it. I, I think we'll be uh, packaging that up for later in the week, maybe uh, tomorrow, since there won't be a lot of shows this week. We're highlighting our faults? No, we're using them as a jumping-off point. All right. You if we highlighted lot... our faults, your name would be in the title of the show. <laughs> you you have a, a lot more faith in people than I do. No, they'll be all right. Name That Tune? You go, go ahead. Tell yourself that. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> so get ready, folks. Sharpen your... Uh, tunage acumen will have a in the booth style name that to contest uh, this week uh, tomorrow maybe Wednesday one of those days our contests are like the Louisville football of yes. radio <laughs> bad and getting worse <laughs> yes and heads rolling Bobby Petrino cut loose had that unusual screen grab that was going around Twitter I actually put out a, another unusual screen grab at night out on Twitter, but the one earlier in the day was him on his weekly television show with the crawl going across the bottom of the screen saying he had been fired. <laughs> so that's not good. Uh, Bobby Petrino is one of these guys for whom he has built up no goodwill. He has stepped on the neck of virtually everybody around him for years in building his career, and he's been very successful. He's burned exceptionally hot. He's burned out. He's bounced back. And with all the change and all the turmoil and all of that going on at Louisville, now that he's not winning and he doesn't have a Heisman Trophy caliber quarterback, hit the bricks. That They are ready to move on. Even for as crappy of a human as he's been, you look at his record, he's got a pretty good record still. Even with he's a very good record. Re- <laughs> the guy can coach horrible. ball. Now, that being said, the team that was in here Friday night looked like a poorly coached yes. football team. Penalties, after the whistle stuff, false start, uh, Having to go to your fourth quarterback, he didn't look ready. Just lots going on. Not a ton of uh, fight in that particular dog uh, once uh, Syracuse was able to get up in the game. And the Orange do look like a well-coached football team. They're uh, on a four-game winning streak, unbeaten at home. We're going to hear from Coach Babers uh, here in just a little bit. 
We'll also visit with Aaron Taylor, former Notre Dame lineman, does a lot of work uh, on ACC channel on Sirius XM and on uh, various television networks, etc. Uh, he'll be our guest uh, a bit later in the show as well. And uh, more to get into. We can take your calls certainly at any time, 315-437-7644, if you'd uh, like to chime in on the program, 315-437-7644 gets you in the booth today. With all this going on, uh, we got the show today, tomorrow, presumably Wednesday, pending a certain travel situation, and then uh, Thursday and Friday will be game days, uh, basketball at the Garden. And uh, depending on how that shakes out, we'll uh, have some floating game times before uh, football Saturday. And so much to look forward to regarding that uh, that football game. We're going to hear from Dino Babers in a bit. Let's just splash a couple of the uh, NFL weekend sounds here to uh, hit you with. And it was quite a day to be the Buffalo Bills, LaShawn McCoy. And the uh, second play of the game uh, got the Bills out in front and got our friend John Murphy excited. The snap, and they give it to Shady. Shady's got room right side at the 20, 15, 10, inside the 5, headed into the end zone. Touchdown! Touchdown! LaShawn McCoy finally hits the end zone. Touchdown, Buffalo. Two plays, and the Buffalo Bills lead it. They need an engineer. (laughs) Uh, I got one I could send them. That's called over modulating in the biz. Yeah, that's, yeah that's not. It's not good. It. Uh, there's a lot of bad radio going on right now. I think we we both know another thing that we're talking about. But uh, Murph also exceptionally excited for the second play of the game for a team that's not going anywhere against another team that's not going anywhere. But it, I'm sure at that point he didn't know that he'd have to keep going up and up in levels as uh, the Bills built a 31. To nothing lead. The the Jets finally got on the board just before halftime. But Matt Barkley, who was on the street a week prior, was slinging the rock, and the Bills blew out the Jets. First and goal from the seven. Barkley takes play action fake. Looks into the end zone. Fire short. He's got a man open, and it is Dawkins. Touchdown, Buffalo. Deion Dawkins touchdown. Who are these guys? Who are these guys? The Bills with a seven yard touchdown pass to Deion Dawkins. I can tell you who they are. Murph just. Not good. Giddy. He was uh, on his high horse on that day, and uh, the Bills win big. Yeah, they're not good. Bills aren't good. Jets aren't good. Even the teams that are good sometimes struggle. The Rams didn't put away the Seahawks until late yesterday, and that's the National Football League. It's meant for parity. We're setting up for the Rams and Chiefs a week from tonight in Mexico City. That'll be the game. Tonight's Monday night game as a dog. You can hear it right here on ESPN Radio 97.7, but it's a dog. The Giants and the Niners going to party like it's 1989. Speaking of that, why don't we start off with one of the uh, Babers quotes, Polly, was his uh, quick run through Yankee history, which really has more to do with that cap that's on your head all the time. You know, when I was growing up in San Diego, all I remember about the Yankees is that we had Dave Winfield and they took him away from us. And then I can't remember if Ozzie Smith went there, but they took somebody else away from us. The thing I remember about the Yankees is if you ever get a really good baseball player, that after they run their contract out, they're going to go play with the Yankees. So, uh, you know, 
I've heard of them, I know about them, and I love Babe Ruth and all the things that those guys have done. And I like using the Wally Pip line. You know, I think that's really cool. Sorry for Wally. Well, the Wally Pip line has legs in and around sports and culture and carries on anytime somebody gives up their spot and the person who fills I, in for them fills in admirably or better, then that person I is in danger of being Wally Pipped. But, I, th- I think I just got Wally Pipped. Did I just become the second most famous Padres fan in in Syracuse? Uh, I don't think he really claims to be a Padre fan to the degree that you do. You're you're more out front about it. I think he is aware. He may be the most famous Padre fan ever. <laughs> so. Well, the fact that he can't identify which team Ozzy Smith went to just shows me that he's not following baseball very closely. Um, but I don't know that they, they... Yes, we know that throughout time, obviously, the Yankees have poached other organizations' best players. Dave Winfield famously is true in this case. Reggie. Greg Nettles. Yeah, but not from the Padres. I'm talking no. about Greg Nettles. No, back in that era, what he's talking about is Dave Winfield, Reggie Jackson, Catfish Hunter. Of course, but they didn't all come from the Padres. Yeah, arguably the best Padres team ever was built around poaching Yankees. <laughs> That's that right, I mean, in the mid-90s. But I, <laughs> I just went back and kind of randomly thought about the wheelhouse that uh, Coach was uh, thinking about. The 1978 Padres just kind of fired them up. They went 84-78. and 78. That's a winning record. That's uh, They don't get that all the time. So that was Winfield. That was Ozzy. Uh, Gene Tennis. At that point, uh, 31 and and probably past the prime of, of his career. No. Uh, Gene Richards, good. So if you look, there's a Oscar Gamble, who I think that would have been before his time with the Yankees. George Hendrick off the bench. But uh, their winning as pitcher was uh, Gaylord Perry. Next was Randy Jones. And Randy Jones is the best pitcher they've ever had. Right. Known as Mr. Padre, had a losing record that year. Um, but I didn't think there was necessarily a f- pipeline from the Padres specifically to the Yankees. When I think of people who Chase uh, played for well, played for both, I think of like Greg Nettles went the other way. He yeah. was on the 84 Padres after playing with the, the late 70s Yankees. Winfield, obviously. Dave Winfield was a stud. Ed Whitson. Uh, Whitson, yeah, it didn't go well in New York for him, famously. Uh, Winfield, in 78, at age uh, 26, hit uh, 308 with 24 homers and 97 RBIs. That guy could rake. But I, famously, I, I'm sure the Padres feel like they had, had their players um, poached, but uh, it wasn't always by the Yankees. And the story goes that... Uh, Ray Kroc, the owner of the Padres, had, Raleigh Fingers is on that team. Had backed the Brinks truck up to Reggie Jackson's house, and the and George Steinbrenner came in and backed a bigger Brinks truck up to <laughs> his house, and he went to the Yankees. So, right there's that. Well, Reggie was an Arizona State guy, uh, just down the road, and that's uh, not how it worked out. Could have been different, maybe, uh, for the Padres from from back in the day. When we come back, we'll talk to a guy who's got some. Uh, history behind him, n- former uh, Notre Dame lineman, uh, just called their game against Navy. He talks about the Irish on a regular basis. Aaron Taylor will be with us. We'll talk about college football in general, perhaps, as well as get his thoughts on this upcoming matchup between Syracuse and Notre Dame. Might be the biggest game of the weekend. Yes, game day's not there. We know that. But uh, it is a huge one. Biggest game in terms of ranked versus ranked for Syracuse in an awfully long time. We'll preview it when we return. 
In the Booth on ESPN Radio. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. In the Booth, brought to you on this Monday afternoon. As we uh, get set for the Orange and Notre Dame inside Yankee Stadium, Saturday at 2.30 start. Not quite the pinstripe bowl, but uh, looking forward to it as we uh, roll along. And the Yankees and uh, Notre Dame and Syracuse have gotten together in the past. A game back in Thanksgiving in 1963. This is going to be a better matchup than any bowl game. This one. Uh, Yes, it will. Yes, it will. Two uh, ranked teams early in the season. Not uh, this time of year because the SEC sort of has their cream puff weekend here. Not a lot of uh, ranked versus ranked matchups historically this uh, week before Thanksgiving. Speaking of cream puffs, we welcome in our friend Aaron Taylor, former Notre Dame lineman. Hello, Aaron. How are you? What's going on, man? Uh, you know, football, baby. Got two hoops games at yeah. the place called the uh, World's Most Famous Arena just before that. But uh, looking forward to uh, seeing the Irish. You're Irish. Are you... Uh... You, you do basketball games at the, the football stadium there? Up here we do, yes. But we're also going <laughs> to do uh, the uh, basketball at Madison Square Garden. What's that? It's year, man. It, it's been unbelievable to, to watch you guys do what it is you've done. And, you know, certainly being a, a very well-respected and having a long tenure as a basketball school, Dino Babers, as you guys roll, it's got to be fun. Well, it's interesting to hear you say that and, and think about it from afar because – for those of us that have been around a long time, you know this has been a long time coming. Syracuse, thanks to Dwight Freeney, had a tremendous uh, 2001 season. They won eight games in a row, made it to the Insight Bowl. And then hard times happened and coaching changes happened. And Aaron, you cover college football day in and day out, week in and week out. I don't care who you are. I don't know that there's any program that's really – capable of moving on from a coaching change and not it not being a setback. Even if you're going well and you have a coaching change, it's a setback. When you're going poorly, you, you still go back a bit before you go forward. I think that's true across the board. And so that's among the things that Syracuse has had to overcome here in that they've been dealing with a lot of three- and four-year tenures, and, and now Dino Babers in his third year has things rocking. He does, and, and the next challenge is going to be to – maintain that level and to retain Dino Babers because what we've also seen in conferences like the Mountain West see it all the time. You get some good young hot sock coaches that can turn programs around and put them on good footing just as Dino Babers has done and then they get cherry picked. So the the lure of elevating your game and earning that opportunity makes it even all the more difficult for a school like Syracuse to compete year in and year out with what it is they bring to the table. Because once they get a guy like Babers, it, it proves hard historically to be able to keep them. So enjoy it while you can. But if the success continues, it's unfortunate for the Syracuse fan base. But my guess is Dino Babers would have a chance to move on sooner than later. Yeah, our guest is Aaron Taylor, former offensive lineman and All-American at Notre Dame, but uh, can be seen each week on a Mountain West game on CBS Sportsnet. This week has... Boise State and New Mexico, and not to get too far off track, at but the you're talking about coaches in that conference and that part of the world. I hear this Matt Wells that people talk about out there at Utah State, and there's going to be somebody poached probably from that league this year by these places that are laying people off now. Yeah, Matt Wells has, has done a tremendous job uh, in that conference, and probably had an opportunity to leave a couple, two or three years ago and elected not to. Now he's one of the 
I believe it's 10 FBS coaches that, you know, are the head coaches at their alma mater. So he's got a good quality of life there. It's where he played. It's what he knows, his family, his children. Having that consistency, it's hard to put a value on that. And I've talked to, to Matt at length about the opportunities that he's had, and there just hasn't been the right opportunity. It's appropriate that I think his name comes up for the Louisville gig and, and what a debacle that is. But I think that job particularly needs an East Coast-based guy that has recruiting ties to that direct region and can still go into Florida and pull some guys out of there. I just don't know if that's Matt Wells' gig. What I could tell you is if they could land him, I think you do a good job on the field, but I think they're going to need somebody that has a little bit more experience on the East Coast. Matt may elevate and have an opportunity to go to some schools on the West Coast, but I think that's more of his fit and maybe more of his style and lifestyle lifestyle fit for him and his family for where he sees himself at at this juncture in his career. Okay, understood. Let's uh, bring it back toward this game and wanted to have you on really for your vantage point on Notre Dame, a, a team that, you know, obviously they're great. They're undefeated. They're 10-0. and 0. They're right there behind Alabama and Clemson and have been in the polls uh, for the last several weeks. Am I right to say that they're starting to pull away a little bit, even with some of these injuries? They seem to be getting more lopsided results at this time of year than early when they – kind of struggled really they they didn't beat ball state by that much they just escaped against vanderbilt etc yeah and pittsburgh game was closer than comfort and it's ironic but i think that pittsburgh game really gave pittsburgh some confidence who really seems to have turned the corner since that loss there in south bend but i agree with you matt I, notre dame really seems to be kind of hitting its stride there's a couple things that happened over the bye week in particular, making some changes up there on the front of the offensive line that I think have allowed them to be a little bit more athletic and a little bit more physical at that point. I call it that Navy game with uh, your good buddy and, and Syracuse alum Carter Blackburn. And Notre Dame started to, to, to find its stride there running the football for over 250 yards. And ever since then, that's been kind of where they've made their bread and butter. Now, Ian Book is the story. He was out a week ago. And they were able to dial up and run against a Florida State defense that as bad as they've been had done a really nice job of stopping the run. Well, Notre Dame doubled their yards per carry against the Seminoles at 7.3 yards and just really kind of took over on the ground. So that honestly surprised me a little bit. I didn't expect them to do that. I thought that that was the one question mark that Notre Dame had. Clearly, they proved that Brandon Wimbush, it, it pays to stay. He got to be the hero. And, and watching Tommy Rees, another former Notre Dame quarterback who's kind of a, a salty scrapper guy. He's their quarterback coach, and he tweeted something out about how proud he was at the moxie that Brandon Wimbush shown. And Wimbush isn't the most uh, accurate guy, but he's a winner, and he's a guy that the kids liked. And throwing three touchdowns and the way that he played and stepped into that role, his last game in a uniform and a green jersey night was something to see. So I agree with you, man. Notre Dame seems to be firing on all cylinders right now, and I think that's great because Syracuse appears to be doing the same. Aaron Taylor, I guess you can hear him uh, regularly on the SiriusXM ACC channel. Catch his work on CBS Sportsnet as well. Ian Book, I thought uh, Aaron came on strong at the end of last year, particularly in the bowl game. I was like, wow, this guy can uh, really move the offense, uh, seem to be a leader. What do they have in him, and why is it such a no-brainer that he comes back off this rib injury to play this week? I mean, he leads the country in completion percentage at almost 75% thrown for – 1,800 yards and, you know, almost nine yards per attempt. And what that means is he has an ability to stretch the field vertically. So you look at the 15 touchdowns and only four interceptions that he's thrown. That was really the thing that kept him from getting the job initially after that great performance against LSU in the bowl game a year ago. 
was that through the spring and a little bit in the fall, ball security was a challenge for him. Wasn't able to go through his read progressions, make the right decision, put the ball where it needed to be, where only his guys can get it. And I think going in that first game against Michigan, Brian Kelly was pretty clear about Brandon Wimbush's uh, ability to extend plays, maybe gave Notre Dame their best shot to win the game. Well, that thinking proved uh, to be correct and spot on. But as time went on, this offense was – being retarded by the inability of Wimbush to be able to throw. Wimbush is a great player. He should be knocked for his inability to be able to throw as well as Ian Book. But Ian Book, kind of that rising tide, raised all the boats on that offense. And players like Alizé Mack, who had a great game on Saturday night against Florida State, are some of the beneficiaries there. So he's really added an element. And I think probably from an emotional standpoint, seems to bring to the table for Notre Dame what Eric Dunsey does for the Orange. Well, that leadership is a big part of it, the ability to both run and throw, although uh, Book is not going to run away from anybody and score the, all the touchdowns that Eric Dunsey has, et cetera. Uh, he can certainly keep you honest, and uh, they've got some options there. As uh, Brian Kelly has gone from a guy who looked like he was on the ropes to kind of piecing things together here in these uh, last couple of seasons, Clark Lee, the former Syracuse assistant, is in his first year as defensive coordinator, doing a good job over there. And uh, on that side of the Ball, Aaron, you know, Notre Dame's always going to have players. Who do you think at this point sort of uh, sets them apart and how prepared are they? You know, if you've played Navy, that that's just so different than, you know, what a lot of other teams do. But we always, when you, you look at a Syracuse opponent, you try to figure out how accustomed are they to seeing the tempo that Syracuse runs at and uh, the screen game. And, and really that's what they're known for. Yeah, that's what's going to be interesting to watch because I think Syracuse is going to challenge Notre Dame in a way defensively that they just haven't seen this year. And, and that's why I think this is going to be a heck of a good matchup. You combine that with the fact that Syracuse is tied for fourth in the country with turnover margin. Notre Dame is going to have to play good football and not panic. When you're playing against good teams that can score and that can rush the passer and force turnovers kind of in an opportunistic way like Syracuse is, you better be able to do two things, run the football and play good defense. So guys like Dalen Hayes, their defensive end, and Jerry Tillery, their big nose tackle inside, number 99, has done a great job of being able to rush the passer. But it's really been guys like Julian Aquara, uh, number 42, who's really emerged these last several weeks as being a, a rush to be able to, to rush the passer. Devon Coney, um, their middle linebacker, number four, he's all over the field. Drew Tranquil, they've kind of moved him into a hybrid linebacker kind of safety position. And on the back look, on the back end, Julian Love, rather, uh, has the all-time pass breakup record at Notre Dame. He's just a ball hawk. He's a guy that can kind of shut down the field. So that's a, an interesting matchup. We've seen Syracuse be able to push the ball down the field vertically. Early on in their games at uh, Western Michigan, UConn, and NC State, all over 10 yards per attempt for Eric Dungey, where he proved that he and that receiving core can stretch the field vertically. Seven touchdowns, no interceptions in that game. So if Syracuse's strategy in this game, if you will, is to take some of those deep shots, they're going to get tested on the back end. But that's what I really liked about these guys, Matt, is that they kind of change and their offense as necessary. These last two weeks, we've seen Dungey kind of take a backseat role in throwing the football and letting his legs and the rushing game kind of lead the way. And that's really encouraging this time of year, particularly playing against the type of defense that they're going to see. Syracuse has impressed me all season long. I know a lot of people were worried about the Northwestern game a week ago, and Northwest, uh, Northwestern ended up winning the Big Ten West Championship. But the game I've had circled has been the Syracuse Orn. I sensed it early on when a team can turn the ball over 
can punch and, and score quickly, but more importantly, have that belief, just like this Syracuse team does. They're tough to beat, and I think they're going to give Notre Dame a football game. Well, when it ta- relates to Syracuse, we've got the rest of the week to talk about them. They have been chameleons over the course of the year in terms of the offense. You know, Eric Dungy himself, he runs for 200 yards in the first game. He passes for five touchdowns in the next. And as the season has gone on, that has played itself out a, a couple of times. They had a couple of games where they threw for 400 yards in a row. Then they came back and they ran it for 250 and then for th- over 300 uh, this past game. I think it was 10 consecutive touchdowns that were rushing before they had the uh, passing touchdown on Friday night against Louisville. Aaron Taylor, I guess, for just another minute or so, you know, from a Notre Dame perspective, and I've got a a cousin who's a domer and uh, a bunch of other family that are into Notre Dame, and when you take a look at how this program is run, et cetera, the idea of the Shamrock series, I think Syracuse playing spoiler here, it would be a pretty cool feeling to beat them in what is Syracuse's backyard. You know, they would consider certainly Madison Square Garden as their second home for basketball. Yankee Stadium is very convenient for the Syracuse fan base. Have, have any of these games that you can recall backfired for Notre Dame, uh, Aaron, in the way that they've kind of spread themselves around the country? Well, I, I tell you what, if we lose that ball game, we deserve to with those ugly ass uniforms. <laughs> Yankee themed. The, the Shamrock series is is a great series, but to your point, Notre Dame in the month of November is going to travel over 8,000 miles. They're crisscrossing the country. Remember, starting uh, at, at the tail end of October, they played Navy on the road and have been going back and forth. So to elect to give up one of your prized home games for the Shamrock series against a, a good ranked team that can force turnovers and rush the passer, uh, certainly that would give you pause to think about scheduling so aggressively in the future. But it is what it is, and the bottom line is Notre Dame is two games away from finishing third in the college football playoff and having a chance to compete for the national championship. But Syracuse isn't going to make that easy. No, you're right, and I think there's a lot of people in this area, just like everywhere else. Notre Dame is the number two team for a lot of people because Notre Dame moves the needle and everybody either loves them or hates them, so they get a lot of uh, following, a lot of reaction, and certainly around here it would probably be the the second most popular team that that people follow. So if Syracuse can't be in the the CFP uh, Final Four, which would be a long shot, then people uh, around here would have an eye on uh, the Irish, and uh, certainly if Notre Dame loses this game on Saturday, their chance to be in that Final Four would be greatly diminished. Last thing, my friend, uh, pretty cool to see you talking about badass uh, that open to the 1993 Florida State game was being sent around on social media this week, and you know you were a central figure in that, I thought. I mean, Bob Costas was okay and everything, but that's, <laughs> that stare down that you had was pretty cool. When they think of legendary broadcasters, it's Bob Costas and Aaron Taylor, right? Right. Um, I got to tell you what, man. There's very few things that I'll go back and Google and look at over the course of my career. And and I had a great career. But that open to the Florida State game is among them. About twice a year, I'll go on my own accord and just look it up and watch it back because it brings back the memories of what is the epitome of college football. Number one versus number two, all this speed from down in Florida coming up to the Midwest and the cold where we're kind of slow and don't nearly have as much speed. The beef and the brawn versus that whole dynamic. And Charlie Ward and Derek Brooks and William Floyd and all the different guys that they had on that team. But that was my senior year. I was a captain. I elected not to go to the NFL the year before, and I probably wasn't ready. But I stayed at Notre Dame my senior year. I dreamt. I signed my letter of intent on that first Wednesday in February back in 1989 
so that I would have a chance to play in a game like that. And it lived up to its billing. Um, it was the first uh, ever game of the century. Now we have one or two a week, it seems like. But uh, just an incredible memory. Uh, and the fact that I turned 21 at midnight that night certainly uh, helped things and moved the party along, man. But uh, among cool. my best memories in that open is one for the ages. It was well, the, so well done. The way it's done is uh, sort of, it would be parallel. It had to be before the movie Rudy, I think. It's parallel with the movie Rudy with the music and the guys playing, you know, of all ages, playing in the backyard and in the leaves and that kind of thing. And then when they take the live, it's not live, but the uh, shots from that day of, you know, here's here's Florida State getting off the bus, and they've all got their green Florida State caps, you know, as a, a tip of the cap or an up yours to Notre Dame. And then they cut to, and here's the Notre Dame team walking to the stadium from Mass. I mean, they, they couldn't <laughs> couldn't have drawn it up any any better. That was uh, storyboard stuff. So uh, we appreciate the time, my friend. And uh, Pat uh, Spatola on the back there, his alma mater, not only is close to being ranked in football, but a good showing yesterday at Cameron in a game that uh, he broadcasts. So uh, good stuff for you guys. Yeah, thank you, man. Uh, Army's had a hell of a year across the board, so I'll be sure to pass that along. On Veterans Day, uh, as it uh, turned out as well. Aaron Taylor, our guest, you can see him on the CBS Sportsnet coverage of Boise State and New Mexico State coming up this weekend and uh, the Orange and Notre Dame, so we can uh, have a little bet on that. Aaron, thanks. Have a great day. Thank you, Matt. Aaron Taylor, our guest. We'll be back with more In the Booth. I was going to hit one stat yes. here. You brought up the, the Shamrock Series. 8-0 and in games in the Shamrock Series, and they're not even – there's two close games that were uh, – they And they're in all kinds of places. Like they played Texas A&M and San Antonio and stuff yeah, like that. They beat uh, Arizona State 37-34. That was a close one. And they beat BC 19-16 at Fenway, at Fenway Park. Park. yeah. So – it's in all the rest of them were blowouts where right. they won. So they're eight zero in these Shamrocks. And a couple have been sort of in the backyard of the team they've played. You know, I think that also I'm not looking uh, at what you beat, see, but they, they went beat to Maryland and, at FedEx Field in Maryland. Yeah, and the Arizona State game was in Dallas. Okay, yeah, so yeah, fun concept. This if, is their second. I used to be a Notre Dame when I was a kid. I was a Notre Dame fan uh watched every play of that 88 uh, championship season and from a Notre Dame perspective in terms of the way they build and extend their program I can totally understand it I know that's a sore subject around here except there's been so much misinformation uh I see Brent Axe is out there on Twitter trying to set the record straight with people whining about this game being moved uh to New York it was not a Syracuse home game this is a Notre Dame home game that has been moved and it's outrageous to, uh, that Yankee Syracuse Stadium. is only the second Shamrock series to be played at three or, or in the afternoon and not at night. It's an outrage. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna have to take a break so I can beat him up. We'll be back in a moment on ESPN Radio. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait. The other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Don't care no more. Former Ohio State assistant Zach Smith, the man who was accused of domestic violence and all of the drama that went around Ohio State this offseason. He went on a tirade on Twitter yesterday towards Texas head coach Tom Herman, who reportedly was the one who tipped reporters to everything that went on. Uh, And he said, Zach Smith said that he witnessed Tom Herman cheat on his wife many times and was going to expose him. Um, Before this all went down, Zach Smith was texting Tom Herman that he was going to do this on Twitter and Tom Herman's response to it was, quote, okay, cool, hook him. Yeah, he's obviously, he, well, he's daring him, you know, go for it. And I think um, 
who knows? I mean, this is obviously a spat between these two. Zach Smith is clearly a disturbed individual. It's not for me to say whether Tom Herman cheated on his wife or not and whether that should be exposed. I mean, it, it sounds like, you know, Herman, if he knows he didn't cheat on his wife and thinks Zach Smith is making it up, then he's played his cards uh, perfectly here. Like, yeah, okay, l- let's see you do it. You know, it's groundless claims and, and go for it. But uh, Zach Smith's a bad dude. Weird that he's doing this, what, two, three months later after really all went down? Well, I think he probably couldn't do it then. I mean, when is, you know, is there a right time to True. drag somebody out, you know? It's it's way past the when this was like the center of the news now. So, I mean, it's strange. I don't think that matters. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's strange either way. Um, Oakland Raiders, they were giving fans options to make, to to take masks uh, to deal with the unhealthy air at the Oakland Coliseum due to the forest fires in California. Yeah, I guess it's pretty much a no-brainer. If you're going to have a game and you want to put fans uh, at ease, then you have to at least offer it. I think it would look spooky. It's kind of a double-edged sword in a way that you don't want to s- scare anybody to think that it's a worse worse of a threat than it actually is. But if you're going to play a game and draw that many people into a public environment like that. Now, my understanding was that, you know, obviously the state is monitoring it. The NFL is monitoring it. They've got people who are exerting themselves athletically that they're looking after. But uh, for the fans themselves, you're bringing in 60,000 people to a game like that. You have to give them uh, an option, I would think, to to mask up, and certainly they could bring their own if they wanted to. Should you be playing the game if you have to offer your fans to wear a mask at the game? Again, I don't – I can't go back and tell you exactly what the – smoke level was or how bad it was I think when you are putting on an event like that you have to err on the side of of uh, comforting fans and showing them look we've thought about this it's not bad but we want you to come to the game if you're concerned at all we've got this provided for you fair enough um Bears kicker Cody Parkey kickers have been terrible all season long Bears kicker Cody Parkey missed four kicks yesterday all four of them hit off the upright. Yeah, two extra points and two field goals. Saw a little bit of highlight of that on television, and it looks like they're rerunning the same tape over yeah. and over because it was all uh, essentially identical. You know, these guys obviously are really good. Why it seems to be harder to kick this year, I don't know, but uh, that has to be nerve-wracking because a kicker is about only one bad game away from losing his job. At least he wasn't missing by a lot. He uh, he would be hard to do that even if you were trying. It goes back to Coach Baber's story about Andre Schmidt and hitting the camera post that they have that's uh, perfectly placed in the middle of the uprights on their practice field. These guys, when they're on, obviously, and wind conditions aren't a factor, uh, they can do that type of thing. So uh, not a great day for Parkey, but his team won, so you can kind of laugh about it in the end. But uh, Parkey now is kind of on two strikes. He has another bad game, then he'll be on the unemployment line. I'm pretty sure kickers do this during practice as like a competition, trying no to question. hit the upright. And he did it four times in a game without trying. Right. Almost impressive. Yes. Almost. Yeah, sure. Almost. It's like, uh, it's like the staff here. You get no points for oh, that. Oh, he's hitting the upright. Right. <laughs> Not trying to. But, right. you know, Doink. <laughs> and just a little plug for what is my favorite movie of all time. Of Toy- course it is. Oh, yeah. Toy Story and Sandlot, my top two. That doesn't surprise me, Tommy. You don't like Toy Story? No, I yeah, just said it doesn't surprise me that it. it's your favorite. 
You got to outgrow Toy it's Story great. at some point. It's a great movie. Unbelievable. I got to catch up on them, to be honest with you. Uh, the cast is amazing. Like, it I was really just looking is, yeah. at the, the I cast. know I've seen one and two. I don't think I've seen three, oh, but I, great. I, I promise my nephews I need to get caught up on that and cars. Um, but my understanding is that Toy, Toy Story 4 is like it's going to wreck your brain, right? That it's sad. and I, yeah, I've, yeah. Seth told me that it was either Tim Allen or Tom Hanks actually couldn't look at the other people in the room when he was voicing it over because the end is so emotional. So yeah, I don't know if Harris, I'm ready for that. It? Toy Story 3, that'll that'll get you. Yeah. It might, it might shed it. Have you shed a tear, Matt? Cusack. I don't go to the movie for that reason. I, I, I don't think Andy I would Potts. enjoy it. Yeah, that's a good good cast. Tom Hanks. June 21st, oh, 2019. Tom Hanks, pretty big guy. Tim Allen. I've seen a lot of Tom Hanks movies. I'm Woody. Name six Tom, Tom Hanks, Hanks movies. 30 seconds on the clock, go. <laughs> I'm uh, still just shocked that Stell Harris is kicking. Stell Harris? Show me a picture of The mom of from Seinfeld. Oh, yeah, sure. She's got to be a She's thousand. a voiceover in that? In yeah, Toy Story? Well, she has a very She's distinctive Mrs. Potato voice. Head. Oh, okay. She, uh, yeah. Born in Those are great movies, though. Holy cow. Wow. Toy Story 3 might be the best one. It really okay, might. Okay, well, I'll check I it out. I highly that's recommend it. That's a, that's a binge situation. <laughs> you don't I think, think so? I, I think you know, watch them all the way through. You've never seen... One to, th- I'm one to three. I'm not watching Just, They're good any age. Come no, on. They no, are single good. guys shouldn't be watching it's a, You're right about that. It's a little creepy. Uh, <laughs> but I do think if you have kids in your life or whatever, you, you have to kind of be up on it. You have to make an effort, Polly. My nephews are in their 30s. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so. That's true. <laughs> you guys want to watch Scarface or uh, with Uncle Polly? Uh, good point. All right. Well, uh, good stuff there, Tommy. See June 21st, 2019. Be ready. Toy Story 4. Good luck. I'm not going to a movie in June. Unless it's raining. The AC, though, at the movie theaters. No, I guess I'm, if it's raining. June 21st, 2019, I'm playing golf. Period. End of story. Fair enough. When the sun goes down, more, you more go to the movie theater. theater. More, more room for you go. at the movies. He's not going. <laughs> See ya. Back after this in the booth on ESPN Radio. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. It's a football game in a really cool place. And it'll be cool until we get hit the very first time or until we make the very first call on defense or offense. And then you realize that those guys are big, they're strong, they're well-coached, and they have their own TV network. You know, Dino Baber's kind of playing down the uniqueness of this game. And it's cool right up until, as he says, it's cool until kickoff, and then you got to play football. But uh, there's Syracuse history, there's Notre Dame history at Yankee Stadium, and this is a lot of fun for a lot of people. It makes it different. Now, the basketball and everything else is what makes this the Cuse in the city and the whole deal. That Apart from the basketball, you'd almost rather this game be in South Bend for a player experience kind of thing. But uh, the way it worked out here is obviously awesome from a Syracuse perspective for the alumni and fan base. So uh, nobody up here is complaining about it, and it uh, should be a great week. It's interesting to hear, if you take those words, how many things you can say about the Yankees or Notre Dame that apply to the other when it comes to the brand, their own TV network, you know the Yankees clearly have one. Notre Dame is uh, closely linked with NBC, and they're the only college football that's on NBC, so that's what uh, gives that perception as well. So uh, we'll get more into the matchup tomorrow. We appreciate Aaron Taylor coming on today to break down some of it for us for the season that Notre Dame has had at uh, ten and zero. Get ready for uh, name that tune. We'll play that either tomorrow or Wednesday. Polly's uh, shaking it off, and we'll probably uh, half ass it as usual in the booth.